We, uh, if you were here last spring, we were working through a series called The Upper Room, where we looked at John chapter 13 and 14, uh, chapters where Jesus uh, begins by washing the disciples' feet in the upper room. It was the, the last time, the last meal Jesus had with his disciples, and so we called that series The Upper Room, where he, he washed the disciples' feet and he taught them out of that to, uh, to love the way he loved us. And then we moved into John chapter 14, where Jesus was speaking about our relationship with the Father and how we are at home. We have a home with the Father in His presence. And um, we are going to continue that series on into John chapter 15. We're going to pick up John chapter 15 today, but we can no longer call it the upper room uh, because, at the, if you remember, the very last verse of John chapter 14, they leave the upper room. Uh, uh, Jesus says, come, let us leave. And so they leave the upper room. And then we don't know exactly where he went until John chapter 18, which says when he had finished praying, because John chapter 17 is an extended prayer of Jesus, it says Jesus left with the disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley, which was the valley just before the Garden of Gethsemane where he was arrested. And so the teaching found, and if you have a, a Bible where Jesus' letters are in red, you'll see that John 15, 16, and 17 is all red, as Jesus teaching and praying happened somewhere between leaving the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane. And so we don't know if uh, Jesus left the upper room. I don't know if you can see that. Maybe that's sort of the traditional spot. If he went around the gate and through there, or he may have went through the temple, because he would go through the temple and the gate led to the Garden of Gethsemane. It may that be that Jesus went into the temple. That's where he did the teaching. And uh, it could be that that's where he did his, his long prayer in John chapter 17. And so we're just going to call the series Walking with Jesus because maybe that Jesus was just walking along teaching the disciples as they were headed to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're going to look at a, a very famous passage. Many of you would have heard this passage before. And it says this. It says, Jesus speaking, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So, Father, we pray you would open this passage up to us. And by our Holy Spirit, that you would use this time to teach us things new, to maybe remind us of things we need to be reminded about. So, Holy Spirit, we open our hearts to you. Amen. So in John 15, it says, uh, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. And so Jesus mentions himself as the vine, and in the picture, he later on to say, he says that we are, we are the branches. I am the vine, and, and we are, he is the vine, and we, we are the branches. 
And um, when we hear the idea about a vine, the disciples would have heard something a little different than we might hear, at least initially. And that is that Israel was always uh, depicted as a vine. If you read through the Old Testament, that Israel is often called a vine. And a lot of the passages talk about Israel being the vine. And now Jesus steps in and he says that he is the true Israel, the, the true vine. And so if you look at the story of Jesus, you will see that it's no accident, for instance, that after he was born, that he goes down to Egypt and then returns to Israel, back to the promised land, just as Israel went down into Egypt and came back to the promised land. It was it's no accident that Jesus uh, spent 40 days in the wilderness, just as e Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness, because Jesus is a picture of Israel. He is the true Israel. He came to do what the people of Israel could not do. And so there, that, that picture, which is the whole piece, uh, but the other picture here, and, and the picture that Jesus describes in this is that he is the vine, that is he is the source of life. And I brought a little branch today to help illustrate that. It's not a grape vine, but it is a branch. And I clipped this off this morning. Uh, but this branch um, does not produce life in itself. Uh, this branch needs to be connected to a trunk or a, a grape branch needs to be connected to the vine. And all the life that this branch has comes from the trunk of the tree. Uh, it, it absorbs and the sap moves in and it turns green. And so the life is found in the trunk. And so too in this picture, uh, our life comes from Jesus. And there are a lot of passages that speak about the life found uh, in Jesus. In John chapter 1 verse 4, it says, In him was life. And that, light, uh, and that life was the light of all mankind. That in Jesus, who was the vine... Uh, there is so much life in him that it's easily enough for all mankind. And if you need life today, uh, there's more than enough life in, in the vine, in Jesus. And, and Jesus does not hold on to that life. If, if you are a branch that's, that, that you, you partner with Jesus and are a part of that vine, uh, he wants to give it to you. Because in John 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so Jesus wants to take all the life that he is and he wants to allow it to flow into us as the branches. In Matthew 11, Jesus invites you to become a part of the vine. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. And, and this idea of just having rest in our souls is something that, that all humans desire and, and, and is found in connecting ourselves with Jesus. In Jesus, we find uh, freedom. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Again, our life comes from the vine. Freedom comes from the vine. Uh, Jesus talking more about how he is the one who satisfies. He is the one whom life comes from. In John chapter 4, he says, Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Or similarly, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Or John chapter 7, whoever believes in me, as scriptures has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Or Colossians 2, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And we go, go on to speak of the love that we need that is found in Christ. And, and the acceptance and the forgiveness that, that he is the vine and, and all of our life comes from him. And so over and over and over again in this passage, we see, see that Jesus uses this, in this translation, uses the word remain in me. Others will use the word abide. And the idea is, is that this is where 
uh, life is found. And so Jesus says, remain in me, remain in me, or abide in me, abide in me, because this is where your life comes from. And that if we are removed from the vine, uh, we slowly begin to die. We, we pull ourselves away from that source of life. And, and sometimes we might look great for a while because this thing still looks green. But in a few weeks, or maybe a month, this will slowly begin to dry and, and, uh, and it'll be again crusty and all the life will begin to, to just empty. Uh, this will just no longer have life in it anymore. And this is what it's like for us. It's why Jesus says, remain, 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 because sometimes we can connect with God, and then we feel like we're green, and then we just kind of go off and do our own thing, and then, you know, a month or two later, we find ourselves, you know, dry, and it's like, why do I feel I have no life anymore? Why am I just so miserable, and why am I filled with fear, and, and, and we're beginning to wilt because we have pulled ourselves away from the source of life, and so Jesus just says, we got to be connected, we got to be connected, we got to be connected to him. So he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. And so uh, the picture here is, is the idea of Jesus being the source of life. The father is the gardener. And then we could picture the Holy Spirit maybe in this, in this picture as the, the nutrients in the soil or the sunshine. And so how we need the whole triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Uh, that God has given us free will, and if we, we choose not to uh, receive life from the vine, then God respects that. And there is a sense that he respects our free will, and, uh, and so um, life will not, will not flow if we choose not to receive it. While every branch that does bear fruit, he says, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. That God rewards all growth with fruitfulness. Notice how he says this. He says, when you are producing fruit, if you picture a grape branch producing fruit, um, God doesn't leave that alone. If he sees fruit, it says he actually prunes it so you'll be more fruitful. And so when you begin to absorb life from the vine, from the branch, and you begin to produce fruit, God sees that fruit and says, aha, now I'm going to prune you. That he actually rewards our fruitfulness or our growth through pruning. Uh, he, the father comes and he sees that and he prunes because God loves not only to see growth, but he loves to see multiplication. And we see this in all creation. Uh, we as humans reproduce. Animals reproduce. You, you put a seed in the soil and it begins to grow and sprout and, 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 and it multiplies. That's, we see that in all of creation and God loves that. So when he sees us producing fruit, he begins to prune us. And we see throughout the scripture, we see these illustrations of God desiring growth and desiring fruitfulness and this idea that God wants to multiply things. In Luke 17, well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted you. So I'll be... Uh, so you will be governor over 10 cities as a reward. Or Matthew 25, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Or Luke 6, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over uh, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Or whoever sows generously will also reap generously. God, God loves increase. He loves growth. And so when he sees you growing, he sees fruit in your life, the Father comes along and begins to prune you. And sometimes we can get scared of this idea of pruning because, you know, we picture, 
you know, a, you know, a little branch, and we, you know, we prune it, and it seems painful, <laughs> you know, pull this off you, and, and sometimes we think about God's pruning, and maybe he's getting, getting, getting angry with this, but no, this is, this is actually a reward. He sees that we're bearing fruit, and he says, wow, I'm going to come and prune you so that you will actually have increase, that you will actually have growth. And one of the primary ways he does that is actually just through his word, because that's actually what he goes on to say here. He says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. The one of the primary ways he prunes us is, is through his word. Now we come here, we listen to God's word, we read God's word, uh, we hear God speaking to us in our spirit, and, and as we listen and absorb God's word, we are actually pruned. And we see that throughout the scriptures, of course. This is how Jesus often pruned his disciples. Uh, we see that in a lot of stories. I mean, for instance, you remember when they were heading to Samaria, and, uh, and James and John, they go in there uh, to prepare the town to receive Jesus, and they just said, we don't want him here. And James and John says, well, can we, should we just call fire down and burn up this town? You know, because that's what Elijah did in the Old Testament, he called fire down from heaven, and so they look, we have, we have Old Testament mandate to do this, should we call down fire from heaven and consume these people? And Jesus says, he rebukes them, and, and says, no, I actually have not come to take life, but to give life, to bring life. He's pruning them through his word, that, that there's a new thing happening here, I've come to bring life, not take life. He prunes his disciples through his word. Or we can see in Luke chapter 22, again, uh, God pruning, or Jesus pruning his disciples through his word. The disciples bickered over which one of them would be considered the greatest in the kingdom. We see that happening all the time. <laughs> you see that in church, in politics, around the world. I mean, there's just something in our flesh that always wants to be better than others and, and greater than others and more able than others, and the disciples were no different. And Jesus interrupted their argument, and he, he says, look, <laughs> let me just prune you for a moment. The kings and men of authority in this world rule oppressively over their subjects, claiming that they do it for the good of the people. They are obsessed with how others see them, but this is not your calling. You will lead by a different model. The greatest one among you will live as one called to serve others without honor. The greatest honor and authority is reserved for the one who has a servant's heart. The leaders who are served are the most important in your eyes, but in the kingdom is the servants who lead. I mean, Jesus saying things operate differently in the kingdom. And, and so God is continually stepping in and pruning us to get the world's way out of our lives and to prune us in such a way that we see things through kingdom lenses. That we'd see our businesses and politics and our churches and our own lives and our family through kingdom lenses, and that requires pruning. And so he's constantly stepping in and pruning us, and it's for our growth. This is always for increase. This is always so that God might advance us. He, when he sees fruit, he, he prunes us. This is like Romans 12. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now in this, uh, we see Jesus talk a lot about fruit. And maybe we just need to answer that question, like what is, what is this fruit <laughs> that Jesus sees in our life and then prunes us so that we will be even more fruitful? Uh, well, the Bible actually gives us some definitions of, um, of, uh, of uh, fruitfulness. 
In Galatians chapter 5, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Or Ephesians 5, it says the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And so this, this fruit has to do with the fruit of the Spirit. And, and sometimes we might think of fruit in terms of, you know, production or in, in terms of even, you know, I got to do miracles. You know, that's fruit, which is, which is part of fruit. In, in John chapter 14, Jesus did talk about how we will do the same kind of miracles that, that Jesus did. But if you actually look at the context of all the red letters of John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, the kind of fruit that John, uh, Jesus is talking about primarily is the fruit of love. Uh, the fruit he wants to see in us more than any other thing is the fruit of love. In fact, in just those few chapters, the word love is used 33 times. I mean, the whole point of Jesus washing the feet was to set this thing up for this, that great teaching where we saw in John chapter 13, where he said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so this is, I mean, love is the foundation of, of everything we do. I mean, John chapter 13, even speaking of mirror, or, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter in love, I mean, what good is it if you have the most amazing miracles you could possibly do, but you don't have love? And so he's wanting us to grow in love, and uh, we grow in love by be connect, being connected to, to the vine. So then he says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And, uh, and if you enjoy theology, you will understand that verse 6 here, about this idea of branches being you know, cut off and removed and burned, there's a whole debate over whether Jesus is talking about, can you lose your salvation or not lose your salvation? Um, but, but most theologians who, who would say, you know, Jesus is not talking about that. He's simply illustrating the idea of fruitfulness. Again, you can see Jesus, you know, on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he patches, passes a, uh, maybe a grapevine, and he's, he's pointing to the disciples, the, the branches that are alive, and, the, and, and there's grapes hanging off. And he says, this is what your life looks like when it's connected to me. And then maybe he sees a branch on the ground that has been cut off or broken off, and he picks it up, and there's no green on it. It's just dead. And it's a picture of what your, your life outside of Jesus just doesn't look the same as it does inside of Jesus. And in those days... Uh, people would come around and collect all the, the dead branches, and they would use them to put in their fire and cook their food. And so Jesus illustrating the idea of, of life in Jesus and, and life outside of Jesus. Uh, I mean, really, it's just another way of saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. And uh, sometimes we look at that and we say, well, you know, I, I spent the first 20 years not as a Christian. And I can say, you know, I did a lot of stuff without him. Um, but there's a reality that even if you don't believe in Jesus, doesn't matter what religion you are, if you're an atheist or have a religion, that there is a sense that we cannot do anything without Jesus. I mean, Acts chapter 17, it says, for in him we live and move and exist. 
as Colossians says, that, that he holds all things together, that, that there is this grace, this common grace, this universal grace that is spread, God spreads through this universe, that our very existence is owed to him. And so there's, there's a sense that we cannot do anything without him, no matter who you are. In fact, in Deuteronomy 8, it says, you may say to yourself, my power and, my, and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. That there is this common grace that God gives to all mankind. That there's a sense without him we can do nothing. But he is speaking about the fruitfulness, the, the life. And, and we know that even in Jesus, we're in Jesus uh, there actually are times that all of us know that we have done things without him and they haven't turned out very good. I mean, I have lots of stories I could tell you in ministry and outside of ministry of things that I haven't prayed about or just think it's a good idea and you jump out and you go do it and it's fruitless. And in fact, he sends you and maybe this church back a little ways. I mean, that happens. Uh, there are times we do things with, without him and this is a reminder that, that we need to be connected with him. Again, the, the, the point that he's driving is that when we are connected to Jesus, there is life, there is wisdom, there is strength, there is hope, there, there's life flowing into us, and yet there's this tendency for us to kind of go off on our own, or to make a decision on our own, or to uh, do this on our own, or whatever it might be, and, and we, might, we might feel still green, just as this is still green, but, but it's, it's disconnected, and it's actually slowly dying. And so Jesus says, remain, abide, remain, abide, make your home with me, connect with me. You know, Jesus actually said this as well himself in John chapter 5. He said, by myself I can do nothing. And what Jesus is really wanting is he's wanting us to have the same kind of connection with the Father in a sense that he did, where Jesus relied on the Father for everything. He said, I can't do anything without the Father. Everything I do, everything I say comes from the Father. You get to see Jesus. He, he's just, all his life is flowing from the Father into him. And therefore, everything he does was what the Father wanted. And this is what Jesus is wanting for us. To be so intimately connected with God that we just are living out of the overflow of, of God working, working in, in our life. And the other main kind of point for this text is this idea of connection over production, connection over production. Uh, we often, um, in this world we live in, we, we are so focused on production. Uh, we're so focused on getting lots done, and I got my list to do, and I got to produce, and if I want to get ahead in this world, I got to get things done, and I got to get ahead of other people, and, or maybe we look at what other people are accomplishing in this world, and we're like, Man, I'm just not accomplishing as much as them, or look at how gifted they are. They're working so hard at producing that I need to produce, and very quickly, we can get our mindset to this idea where I just need to produce, and, and I am a production person, and this is what life is about. I got to produce, 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 but Jesus is talking about branches, and if you could picture this is a, a branch from a fruit tree. I mean, have you ever seen a fruit tree branch? Just like, come on, Apple, <laughs> Applebee, you know, I declare apples, you know, I, 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 I you know, confess apples, you know. Well, the branch, all the branch has to do is just be connected to the trunk, and, and the fruit, it just happens. 
There's no striving, there's no straining, there's no wrestling, there's no fighting, there's no getting stressed out. It's just connected to the trunk and, and fruit naturally happens. Or like the Jesus of the vine and the, and the branches that come off. I mean, a grapevine, again, it just naturally produces fruit. And this is what Jesus is saying in this text. I am the vine, you are the branches. And he, and he talks about if you're in me, you will produce fruit. If we're naturally connected, we will produce fruit. And it's what he's saying. Yeah, we get so focused, we're like the branch chain. I just got to focus on production. I got fruit come and, you know, come on, we got to work, 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 work. And we burn ourselves out. And Jesus says, just, just connect with me and relax. Because when you're connected with me, his life naturally flows into us. And we naturally begin to produce fruit in our lives. I mean, if we just take a, a quick overview of your life in this last year, was your life more defined by connection or is it more defined by production? And more defined by getting stuff done and stressing over things? Or is it more defined by connection? I mean, our kingdom purpose looks different than what the world teaches our purpose is. The world says our lives are about production. Or the kingdom says our lives are about connection. That all of life flows out of connection with the trunk, with the vine Jesus, and this is where our life, this is where our energy, this is where uh, our, our strength to love, and, and this is where our production actually comes out of. And so Jesus says, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me, abide in me, connect with me. I am your source, because without me, you can do, you can do nothing. And Jesus in John chapter 4, and we'll just finish with this. He says, remain in me. Again, this word means remain or abide or connect to receive life from. Remain in me as I also remain in you. That Jesus, he said he never leaves us nor forsake us. That he is always with us. In 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy, it says that even if we're faithless, God is faithful. That he is always remaining with us. Because God is always with us. Jesus says, I want you to connect with God the way he's connected with you. God will never leave you nor forsake you, so be the same way. <laughs> connect with him. Get your life from him. Do you know that it says that God knows every single one of your thoughts? He knows every hair that's on your head and they're numbered. That he says he holds every tear you have in your bottle, in, 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 in a bottle. I mean, he knows more about you than anybody else on this planet. Is how much God is connected to your being, that he knows your thoughts and the number of hair, and he's so connected to you, and he says, remain in me as I remain in you. That is the same way God is intimately connected with us, we are to connect with him, meaning we've got to connect deeply, and it's got to be from the heart. I mean, Christianity is not a, a rule-based system. It's, a, it's an inward thing where we connect with our heart and we receive life in, inside, and from that inside working, it flows out in terms, of, in terms of fruit, not the other way around. And so the challenge from this text is to be intimately connected minute by minute throughout our day and through our week, intimately connected with Him. And uh, one helpful illustration I heard was um, imagine if like a billionaire came up to you and he said, would you like to make a million dollars? Take 30 days? I think most of us would at least be curious and say, well, what is it? And let's say this guy's really trustworthy and honest. I mean, it's, it's going to be a legit thing. 
And he says, would you like to make a million dollars in 30 days? I think most of us are like, well, at least tell me about it. And let's say he pulled out this, this gem in his pocket. And he says, this gem is worth $10 million. And I want you to take this gem, and I want you to keep it in your pocket for one month. And if at the end of the month, it's still there and you don't lose it, I will give you a million dollars. But if you lose that gem, you have to pay for it. You're going to owe me $10 million. So there's risk. So we lose the gem, we got to pay him $10 million. But if we, we keep that gem for the entire month, he's going to give us a million dollars. How many would you go, go for it? I would definitely go for it, for sure. I mean, risk. But I tell you what I would do. I would hold on to that thing for dear life. I would not even take my pants off. I would, you know, <laughs> chain it to myself, <laughs> duct tape it. I mean, every waking moment, I would be aware of where that gem was. Every second, I would be thinking, no matter what I was doing, like, I would be thinking about that gem. Do I still have it? Is it in my pocket? I mean, I would be so aware of that gem because, I mean, it's worth $10 million. And I get a million dollars out of it. But the reality is, we carry something in us that is far more valuable than a $10 million gem. I mean, the life source of the universe lives in us. And so, if we can be aware of a gem, uh, we've got to learn to develop this awareness of God, that we don't walk long throughout the day where we just stop and be aware of His presence to be aware of a life source, that when we feel life draining out of us because of anxiety or life draining out of us because the boss is angry or you have to deal with a coworker or whatever it might be, that you just, you just again, connect with the vine and allow his life to fill you and to touch you and to, and to hold you, that we would remain in God the way he remains in us. So, Father, we, this is our prayer for 2020. God, that we might connect deeply with you, and not, not just once a week, but every waking moment, God, of our lives. God, we're excited about what this can even look like in, in our marriages, in our churches, in, in our businesses, in our homes. If, God, if we were just so intimately aware of you and we're receiving the life from you every waking moment of our day. So God, I just pray you develop this awareness in us. And God, that you would fill us and prune us and shape us. God, we love you and we thank you the life that you do give us. In Jesus' name.